Tonight on Fig Tree Watchers, we're asking this question, what is your purpose in having a relationship with Jesus Christ? What is your purpose? We're going to explore that tonight in the Gospel of Mark. That's next, here on the West Coast Gospel Hour. Good evening, everyone. It is so good to have you here uh, as we begin another episode of the West Coast Gospel Hour here on Fig Tree Watchers. Tonight, we are going through the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, 22 through 30. So uh, invite a friend, uh, encourage someone to join us. It is uh, going to be a great night. And as always, we are going to be deep in study, uh, expositorily studying the Gospel of Mark. Tonight, it's chapter 8. Uh, as we continue in this series of understanding who Jesus is. This is uh, going to be a great night, and it has a lot of fond memories for me uh, as we are about to unpack this passage here in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I want to remind everyone that if you're new to Fig Tree Watchers here on Instagram, you can listen to the replay of every broadcast as we save the lives but if you're uh, not interested in having the time to watch the lives, you can go straight to the podcast form on all the major podcast uh, platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, Google, and uh, you can listen to them uh, right there. If you're looking for some extra content to help you um, solidify your walk with Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you. Uh, to join us on figtreewatchers.com. Check out the live content that we have on there. Uh, we have postings that have to deal with uh, end times prophecy there, apologetics. You can find all that great content uh, right there on figtreewatchers.com. Especially, uh, we've added the new um, post from Sky News Watch, uh, Sky Watch News, I'm sorry, uh, by Derek Gilbert, as uh, you can get up to date news. Uh, each day, uh, just about 10 minutes of your time, the top five news stories. So we'd love for you to join us and participate in that as well. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. We really do appreciate it. And uh, let's get started in the Word of God. Thank you for joining us. Tonight, um, we are going through the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 8. Verses 22 through 30, and uh, before we begin, let's pray, and then we'll start. Dear Father God, I just want to thank you so much, uh, Lord, that we can get into the Word, that we can have a, a study in your Word, that we can grow in faith, O oh Lord, but we can also grow in discipline, God, and we can understand what it is that you're trying to teach us. God, I pray that that this word tonight would not be of um, my own wisdom, but God, it would come from godly wisdom, that the Holy Spirit would guide us to the truth of your word, that God, everything I say would be from you, O Lord, and not any utterances would come from my mouth that would be from my own spirit, but Lord, rather by your Holy Spirit. I pray that God, that this scripture tonight will transform our heart and renew our mind, that we might walk closer with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to have you, Nikki. It's great to see you here tonight. And uh, Luis and Cody and uh, uh, Black Jay, good to see you also. It's good. awesome, awesome. 
Um, it's welcome here, everyone. It is good to have you. Well, let's begin to read the Word of God and, and then we'll unpack it. Starting in verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida and they brought him a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the roads he asked his disciples saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and and others, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. All right, well, let's unpack this right away. Now, this is often call, called the two-stage miracle in the scripture that it, it the misunderstanding by many people is that it took jesus twice to heal this man and that's not what the scripture is saying at all in fact to understand the context of the scripture we have to back up to the previous story what happened in the previous story well if you were with us in the in the previous bible study last monday through the gospel of mark um they were doubting uh jesus they were they were on a boat and they were without bread and they were panicking. And Jesus, he kind of gives them the stern look. And just to review, he says, do you not understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? How do you not remember? What is he talking about? He reminds them, I broke the five loaves for 5,000. How many basketful of fragments did you take up? And they said 12. And when I broke the seven uh, for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. And so he said to them, how is it that you don't understand? Why is it that I am with you and you are like panicking over bread? Right? Why is it that you don't understand who I am and what I can do, what I'm capable of? How do you not understand this? Why are your eyes seeing but not seeing? How are your ears hearing but not hearing? Why do you not comprehend? And the disciples, you can imagine, they got together and they're like, okay, we, we got to prove to Jesus that we understand. We, we got to do something that, that comes here. And like all human beings, they try to justify their faith with works, right? They try to justify their faith with works instead of being justified by Jesus Christ in their faith. And there's a difference. We try to prove to God that we're worthy of salvation when we're not. We're not worthy of salvation. Jesus is worthy of our salvation. We try to justify our faith by our works instead of being justified by Christ in faith and believing in Jesus. 
Remember what James says, right? In chapter two, he describes us. He says, hey, the demons believe in God, but they tremble. And then he says these powerful words, Abraham was accounted righteousness because he believed God. Paul mentions the same thing in the book of Romans. He believed God. He was accounted righteous because of his, he believed God. Not because he believed in God, but he believed God. He trusted in God. And so the disciples, they do something that we probably all would do, right? They get off the boat at Bethsaida, which is, happens to be Peter's hometown, right? Where Peter grew up. In fact, you can go to Bethsaida today. You can, there's a church with a glass floor and you can look down on Peter's home and you can see that it was converted into a church. Um, and you can actually see it. You can see the crosses edged into it. You can see the fish symbols edged into it. Um, and it's pretty cool. And archaeology can actually demonstrate that Peter was from Bethsaida. So we have this proof to our faith in archaeology. Now, he probably knew the very blind man that they brought to Jesus. And I love this because in this translation, it's real clear. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him, right? And this is important. The NIV says, in the, in the NIV translation, it says some men brought a blind man. Well, if you go with that translation, you have no idea what the purpose of this story is. But when you realize that the they is the disciples of the previous story that we read in, in uh, um, 13 through 21, we understand now a little bit more of a clear picture that it's the blind man that are that are, uh, it's the blind man that is being brought to Jesus by the disciples, that they is the disciples, that they is the disciples. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Jesus is on to them. And I love this part. Jesus is like, oh, okay. You want a teachable moment? I'm gonna teach you something. And he doesn't do it in the eye of the public. He takes the blind man out of the town to a place that's secluded. And Jesus spit on his eyes and put his hands on him and asks if he sees anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. What does he see? He sees the disciples all around him walking. He's in a secluded area. He sees the disciples. And then Jesus, he put his hands on his eyes again, made him look up. And he was restored and saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his town saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now this is important because this is the first time in the gospel of Mark. And we know this through the other gospels that the disciples begin to participate in the ministry of Jesus Christ for the first time. They go from following Jesus, doing everything they're told to finally participating. They participate, even though misguidedly, they participate in the ministry that Jesus is doing by bringing people who are ill or who need ministering to, to Jesus. Now this is important because there comes a point in the walk of every Christian when he has to say, yes, I'm following Jesus, when he has to participate in ministry. 
Every believer of Jesus Christ has to go from following to participating. To participating. Now, your participation is going to stumble. It's going to fall. It's even going to be misguided at the time when you do it. And I promise you this. Because we all do this at different stages of our life. And it's a growing process in which the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Misguided or not, there will be a point where God is going to challenge you to go from follower to participant in the ministry of the faith. For some people, it will be at a small level. For others, it will be at a great level. But you will if you continue to believe. And God, I believe, challenged the disciples. Jesus challenged them into saying, you don't understand. You don't even know who I am. And the disciples, through misguided actions, decided, no, Jesus, we're going to show you. We're going to bring this blind man to you. Now, this miracle, this two-stage miracle, as we call it, is not for the blind man. I want you to understand this. It's not. The question isn't, why did it take Jesus two times to heal this guy if he's God? Why did it take Jesus two times? That's not the question you need to ask. The question is, who is the recipient of the miracle for? That's the question you actually need to ask. Because Jesus is taking them out and he's challenging the faith of the disciples. He's challenging them. He didn't need to do it in two stages. He didn't. He needed to heal this man in a private area so that the disciples would understand who Jesus was. That they would finally get it. That they could bring any situation to him and he could resolve it in their faith. And I love this because he says, I see men like trees. I see men like trees. The, the, the first time Jesus touches them, I see men like trees. He touches them again and he's completely healed. Why? He's, Jesus is allowing him to grab the attention of the disciples. To bring them to the understanding that God could spit on eyes and then put his hands on him and touch him. And the man could already start to see. And then Jesus, he could just put his hands on his eyes again and make him look up and see everything. And his sight was restored very clearly. Very clearly. Are you seeing Jesus clearly? Are you seeing Jesus clearly? Or are you seeing through foggy eyes? That's a great question to ask yourself as you're participating in this. Yeah, the trees don't walk, right? And, and it's because his eyesight was so foggy, he thought the disciples were like trees. He says, I, in fact, one translation actually says, I see men like trees, right? Walking. It's men. It's not trees walking. It's men like trees. And um, it, it's really talking about the clarity of the spiritual realm. So when you start participating with Jesus, then becomes the clear question. The question is, why are you participating with Jesus? Is it because you have a deepening relationship of knowing who he is in your life? For every Christian, there comes a point where you're going to be challenged in your relationship with God, every believer. 
And the question that you're gonna ask yourself is, why am I following? Why am I participating? Am I doing it for the right reasons, right? Am I doing it for the right reasons? There are times in every Christian walk, and I can tell you this in my life, where I have questioned myself and asked if my motives are pure in what I'm teaching, what I'm doing, what I'm participating in, in my walk with Jesus Christ. What is the motivation for why I am doing what I'm doing, why I'm following Jesus, why I'm participating with Jesus? The answer always needs to come back to Jesus. It's gotta be about Jesus. It's not about you. It's always gotta be about Jesus. It's always gotta be about Christ. You see, the disciples, they were seeing these incredible miracles and they were following. Why were they following? Because they saw what Jesus was doing. They were following because of Jesus, right? And then they came back and they looked at what Jesus was accomplishing and they decided to become participants in the ministry. Why did they become participants of Jesus? Because of Jesus, because of who he was, what he was doing, why he came. The words, as Peter said, only you contain the words for eternal life. So the purpose for them to follow and to participate was Jesus. But now, what, what was their reason in life, their motivation in life? It has to be Jesus. And see, that's what the next part of this story comes in. I honestly tell people when you are reading chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark, you need to read verse 13 all the way to 30. It's one story. It's one continuous thing because it's one teaching lesson after another. And it's so important to understand. Because after they saw the miracle of the blind man, Jesus then does the teachable moment. And this is so important because from this point forward in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus begins to teach the disciples more readily. He begins to really impact their lives with real teaching so that they can have more clarity and understanding. Jesus, he's walking with his disciples out of the town of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples saying to them, who do men say that I am? See, now he's talking one-on-one -on -one with the disciples. He's having those teachable moments with them alone. And they go from followers to participants. But now their motivation in following Jesus is starting to become clear. Jesus wants them to understand what the true motivation to be his disciple is really about. What the purpose is. And Jesus wants them to clearly understand who he is. He's not the rabbi. He's not a prophet. He's not Elijah. He's not John the Baptist back from the dead. He wants them to understand who he really is. And listen, he says to them, who do people say that I am? And so they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others say one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Notice what Jesus is, is picking at. He's asking them as individuals, okay, that's great. 
People have a wrong misconception of me. In the world today, many people have a wrong misconception about Jesus Christ. But what Jesus brings to the disciples is, who do you say I am? And today, Jesus is asking that very question of you, the individual. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Why are you following me? Why are you participating in the ministry of the gospel with me? Who do you say that I am? Because this is so important. So important. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 11, right? It asks this important question as well. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is asking him, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus is getting at the crux of the situation. Do you understand? Do you believe that I am Lord? And are you going to confess that with your mouth? Is your faith going from believing in me to believing me? That I am the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Am I the one who is the Messiah? Do you believe me or do you just believe in me? That is the question that we all have to come to. What is the motivation for our faith? Do we believe God? Do we believe God? I often get into this debate with Calvinists over limited atonement. Because in order for you to believe limited atonement, you have to believe that the word all doesn't mean all, that it means some. And you have to manipulate this. I watched a debate here on Instagram with a guy that I really like. Charlie, he's a friend of mine, but he's a, he's a Calvinist. And he said, well, I don't believe that all means all. I, I believe that it means kinds. That it means some. Well, there comes a point where you have to say, well, don't you just believe the scripture? Why can't you believe that all means all? And I wish I had been on that because I would have asked this question. Well, when it says that God created all things, are you saying in, by the same writer, Paul, that there's two creators? It doesn't mean all that God is the creator of all things. So are you saying someone else created all things? Participated with God? Or did God create all things? When it says that Jesus took away all of our iniquity, are you saying that Jesus took away just some of our iniquity? So we still have some iniquity that has not been forgiven, so we will die in our trespasses? Is that what you're saying? Or does the word all mean all? Why is it that the same writers using that same wording, all, suddenly in one context it means all, but in another context it doesn't mean all? Because they don't believe the scriptures. They don't believe them. And it's either believe it all or don't believe it. And so Jesus is asking them, who do people say that I am? And Peter, you have to love Peter because he gets so rambunctious. He's so excitable. He comes out and he says, he answers them and he says, to him, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the one that Isaiah prophesied about. You're the one that David spoke about in the Psalms. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one who Abraham looked forward to at the cross. 
for the cross, for salvation. You're the one that Adam and Eve were promised in the Garden of Eden. You are the Messiah that we've been waiting for. You're the Christ. You're it. You're the Christ. And Jesus doesn't correct him. He doesn't correct him. He says, you know what? Don't tell anyone. Don't. Be quiet about it. Why? Because if they started going out, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, it would have just created havoc. Remember what the problem with Judas was, was that he wanted the Messiah to come and defeat Rome. And so when Jesus wouldn't do that, he decided to help Jesus along by betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. He thought that at that moment, Jesus would rise up, wipe out the Romans, wipe out the Pharisees and rule. That's what Judas thought. Because he didn't want Jesus to come as the suffering servant. He didn't want Jesus to come to die for the sins of all mankind. He wanted Jesus to come in the image he had created Jesus in. And this is another problem. Are you, have you created a false image of Jesus in your life? A lot of people have. A lot of people have. That's not who Jesus is. He didn't come in your image. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. That Christ came into the world because God so loved the world that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to understand this. He died for sinners not for the predestined. It's by grace we are saved through faith, not predestined and faith. It doesn't say that in the scripture. What Romans says is he says, for those he foreknew, he predestined. Why? How are you predestined? In Christ. We are saved in Christ and Christ alone. Otherwise, if it's predestination, Christ didn't really have to die on the cross. God had just could have picked us and said, I'm predestining you because you're good people. But how are we made good? We're made good and righteous by Jesus Christ and Christ alone through faith. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk says this. Paul reiterates this. The just shall live by faith. Not by predestination. By faith. Peter at this moment is articulating his faith. All right, I've been following you. I'm now participating with you in your ministry. But why I'm doing this, it's because of who you are. You are the Christ. You see, we follow because of Jesus. We participate because of Jesus. But it's all about Jesus. It's about nothing else but Jesus. In your relationship, it needs to be about Jesus. <clears throat> your love, it needs to be about Jesus. In your failings as a believer in Jesus Christ, it needs to be about Jesus. Because you need to come in your failings 
And the way you fail, you need to come back to the cross and you need to say, Jesus, it's about you. It's about you. <clears throat> it's always about Jesus. Your redemption, it's in Jesus. Your healing, it's in Jesus. And that's why the story of the blind man is to restore the sight of the disciples in understanding that why Jesus came was to redeem them. Don't you understand? Don't you hear? I'm here for you. And the restoration of the blind man, the two-stage miracle, was not for the blind man. It was for their unbelief that they would believe and know that Jesus Christ is Lord. I got to tell you, I, I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it one more time. When I was being discipled by my dad. Yes, I love that. Thank you. Romans 8.20. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Predestined to become image. Why? It's the restoration of their... We are conforming to the image of Christ. Absolutely, Cody. It's not being predestined. We're predestined to conform to the image of Christ. That's the predestined because Christ was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That's what Revelation tells us. Worthy is the lamb, they sang there. Very powerful. Thank you, Cody, for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Cody brought up the verse Romans 8, 29 for those listening on the podcast. I want, to, I want to share this with you because I, I, I've done it a couple of times, but I want to say it one more time. I was being discipled by my dad um, when he was pastor of, of the Baptist Church in Grand Terrace. And I would preach every other Sunday with him. So he would pick out the passage of scripture and, and we were going through the Gospel of Mark. And so this passage has very fond memories for me um, as we were going through the book of Mark. And... Every week, uh, I would have two weeks to prepare for my sermon because every other week I was preaching. So two weeks to prepare. And I would come to him with my sermons. And the goal for me was always to have the sermon done um, the Wednesday after, right after he assigned it, you know. And I would struggle with so many of the sermons. And my dad would put the, he, he was so patient and gentle and kind with me. But when it came to this passage of scripture, I couldn't understand it. I, I did all my research. I did, went through all the scholars and it never made sense to me. And I drafted it so many times and would bring it to my dad. And my dad would just shake his head and goes, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And I'm like, well, could you explain it to me? He goes, no. He goes, this one you have to get. You have to understand this one. And it, we actually had the Saturday night before I preached. I had an argument with my dad. I remember it. It was a very heated argument. I'm like, I just don't get it. I, I, I guess I'm not cut out to do this. And he laughed at me and he said, oh, you are. You're just being stubborn and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you on this. And I said, well, what am I missing here? He says, you're missing truth. Still remember it. And I, I went home hot-headed and he said, I'm going to let you preach this, but 
he goes, in this failing, I'm going to pray that God brings about an understanding for you. So we're sitting in the church and worship is being led. And on, on the Sundays that uh, my dad would lead the worship uh, for the church as I was preaching. And I remember sitting on, on the stage getting ready to do my sermon and I'm just crying out to God. I'm like, God, I know this is a disaster. My dad has told me, I don't understand what I'm not grasping here. Could you please help me? And at that moment, I look over and I see my mom and I start thinking about my mom's life and how God healed her when I was 13. And I started thinking about it and I started going, Lord, you know, you healed my mom. How come you didn't heal my mom in two stages? What, what was the difference there? And the Lord very clearly spoke to me and said, now you understand. The miracle of the healing wasn't for your mom. Yeah, she was the, she was the recipient of the miracle, but the purpose for the miracle was you. Was you. Just like the disciples. Yeah, the blind man got, received the miracle. He was healed. But the true purpose for the miracle were the disciples. So that they would come to belief. And I said, well, what do you mean me? He said, and the Lord reminded me of all my bitterness and anger I had because of all the years growing up. And this was 13 years of age that I prayed for my mom to be healed. And she had that disabilitating disease known as myasthenia gravis. And she wasn't healed. And at age 13 in the streets of San Francisco in front of the the, the U-Bahn track that, that right there on Escheheimer Landstrasse in Frankfurt, Germany, my mom was healed right in front of me in five minutes after spending an hour trying to get her down a staircase to get her to a place in, in Germany. And I realized at that moment in my life, I no longer could doubt that God was true, that God was existing and that God could heal. The struggle I had from that point forward at age 13 was obeying. I will tell you that, it was obeying. But it was never about not believing. Because I saw my mom healed to the point where she ran for the first time in my life. And as I was going over that in those few minutes before I was about to preach, I got it. I understood what the miracle was about and why Jesus did what he did. It was to grab the attention of the disciples, to get them to understand that Jesus is God, that he was the Christ, the promised Messiah, the savior of the world. And this is the question that you need to understand. A prophet can't save you. A good teacher can't save you. Elijah couldn't save anyone. John the Baptist was preparing the way for salvation, but he wasn't saving anyone. Only Christ can save. Only Christ can save. Because he is the one who is God and man who came in the flesh to die for the sins of all mankind. All mankind. He died for, as Acts says in, in chapter 17, he died for everyone everywhere, every tongue and every tribe and every nation. 
every nation. Not one nation is excluded from that list. And the disciples at that moment, they got it. Yeah, the blind man received the miracle, but it was really for the disciples to take their hardened hearts, their unbelief and say, Jesus can do everything. There's nothing impossible for him because he is God. He is the one. So to ask yourself again, you might be following Jesus, but are you participating with Jesus? And if you're participating with Jesus, is your motivation Jesus? Is your motivation Jesus? Each of us goes from belief to following, from following to participating in the ministry of the gospel. But the focus has to be the entire time that Jesus is God. He's God. And he died for your sins. He is the savior of the world. He's not just a prophet. He's not some guy in the New Testament. He's not just a man. He's God, the savior of the world. Your focus always needs to be on Jesus, who is God. And the understanding that he's coming again. He's king. That's what's so important about that passage in Romans 10. When you're saying that you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus is king. He's my king. He is the king eternal. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is my savior, the one who died for me on Calvary, who set me free from every sin, even the sins I have yet to commit. Because he is faithful and he is true and he is God. With that understanding, we can come to him. We can come to the foot of the cross every single time, confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive them. He's faithful and just to forgive them. Why? Because he bore them all, all of them, all our iniquity on the cross. Sorry, Calvinist, that word all means all, not some. He bore all of our iniquity, the sins of the whole world, everyone on that cross. And all we have to do is believe. I always thought that it was kind of a ridiculous statement, right? When you say he, Christ came to die for some. So you're saying that the sins of the whole world Christ didn't die for? And this is one of the sad things about Calvinists. They believe in penal substitution. He, they believe he died for the sins of the whole world, right? But they deny it in the same sense. All iniquity. So then does that mean if he didn't die for all iniquity, do you mean that there's some iniquity that will never be forgiven in your life? And the Calvinist gets very upset about that. No, of course not. That's not what I'm saying. Well, then how come all means all here, but not all there in the same, by the same writers of the New Testament? It perplexes them. Just believe the scripture. Make it simple. All means all. Um, 
We have this comment. My stepfather passed away suddenly a few weeks ago and knowing that Jesus is God has made, kept my mind and heart in perfect peace. Amen. The sovereign God is good and does all things well. Amen. And that's the beautiful part. We believe in the sovereignty of God. He, we know that in God's plan, everything's going to be accomplished even in the free will acts of good and disobedience that man does. God can still accomplish all things. How much greater is God to know that he allows free will to exist and can still accomplish his will within the free will of man? That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. That's an all-powerful God. Not a limited God. That's a great God. And that's a God that is, is truly fantastic. And in that same sense, Christ came to die for the whole world. He put all iniquity on his shoulder. He became sin, the scripture says. Became sin. Our substitute. So that we might be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. God died for all sinners, believers and unbelievers. Yes. That's why he went in. The Bible says he went in and preached to those who were lost, right? To the dead. He is the God of the living and the dead. I, I love that passage. He is the God of the Jew and the Greek, right? He is God of everyone because he is the creator of all things. We are all sinners saved by grace, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Everyone's sinned. And so we have to remember that. I hope that this inspired you tonight. We got a little bit off track, but I hope that this inspired you tonight to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, to remember why you're following Jesus, to remember why you're participating in the in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, what is your purpose every single day? All these answers, your motivation, your participation, your following, it all has to be about Jesus. Every moment of every day, it has to be about Jesus. It has to be because Christ is your savior. He's your redeemer. And when you come to those moments where you begin to have doubt, Remember who, why Christ came for you. Why he came for you. He came to redeem you from your sins. He came to save you. Because he loves you. God loves you. That while you are yet a sinner, Christ died for you. I think that that is the most beautiful thing in the world. To know that Jesus came into the flesh, endured every temptation known to man, yet did not sin. Selflessly, selflessly put himself, hung himself on the cross and died for me so that I could have eternal life. Because of that, 
because of that, I can face tomorrow. I can live my life with the motivation and understanding that everything I do, I do for Jesus. Everything I do, I do for Jesus. I love that song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Right? Cody brings up a great verse. Uh, Romans 6.22 But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Yeah. Yep. Excellent, excellent verse, Cody. Excellent. So good to see you here tonight. We've missed you so much, Cody. Um, but yeah, that is that is it. That is it. God bless you all. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Fig Tree Watchers. Uh, it is a blessing to have you. I do want to remind you all that uh, tomorrow night we are going through First Samuel. We're continuing our series in First Samuel on Tuesday. Wednesday will be off. Uh, as we are now, no more Wednesday nights. Um, and, and that is because I have a responsibility to my family and need to accomplish some things on Wednesday nights with my family. And then on Thursday nights, we'll be back with the um, topical Thursday. And then Friday night, uh, Ayo from Mimitsu Study will be joining us for Friday Night Prophecy as we go through the news events of the week and how they relate to Bible prophecy. And then this Saturday, I.O. will be joining us for Apologetic Saturday. So I wanted to remind you all that. So you aren't going to want to miss um, any of the Bible studies that are coming up. They're going to be awesome. Uh, I want to let you know that. It's, it's going to be really good. Do want to um, say one more thing um, to you all about um, some of the stuff that, that is going on. Um, you, please pray for us uh, here in the ministry. We have a lot of things going on. Uh, in the ministry, discipling uh, that is going on. Uh, we're doing, we're engaging others to to help out in discipleship. But there are ministries going on uh, behind the scenes that you don't know anything about that um, in some cases we can't talk about yet. Um, but we're asking for your prayers right now. Uh, we don't ask for donations. And if anyone ever says we are, do not believe them. We don't do this for money, we're not asking for a single dime, and nor will we ever ask for a dime. Um, so, if anyone ever comes to you and says, "Hey, we're asking for money," it's not true. We don't. Um, but we are asking for is prayer, uh, and we're beginning to see God do some amazing things uh, in this ministry, and we're asking for you to continue to pray for us. So, we're also going to ask you to pray for the people of Canada for this country, and especially for the people of the Ukraine tonight, who um, the invasion has started, um, and uh, Russian troops are entering into um, the Ukraine. So we really need to pray for the people of Ukraine, especially the Christians there, and the Christians in Canada. Um, so many Christians are being locked up in Canada by the, uh, the police up there because of Trudeau and his evil, evil acts. We really need to pray that, that God removes Trudeau out of his position of power. We need a work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the powers and rulers in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places. 
we need to pray that God changes those situations, the principalities, and and that um, Trudeau is removed. We are in a spiritual warfare right now and that is coming up to the very end of the world because we know that Jesus is coming back. And so really, in your time, pray that God changes the hearts and minds of the people, the leadership in Canada, the United States, um, that he even changes the heart of Putin um, and he definitely changes um, what is going on in the Ukraine. Pray for the people of the Ukraine uh, because we need um, we need a miracle. We need to see a miracle. Now, I, I think this is all happening in the sovereign plan of God and we're going to go through some really rough and hard times in the next year, but it doesn't mean we stop praying. Doesn't mean we go, oh, yeah, it's in God's sovereign hand. Amen. No, because scripture tells us the opposite. It says, pray, pray, pray that these things change. Pray, bring, bring every petition with thanksgiving in your heart. Bring it known to God. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet, right? We're to pray with all thanksgiving, with every petition, with every need, we're to bring it to God. And God hears. So don't stop praying for Canada. Don't stop praying for the United States. Don't stop praying for Australia and New Zealand and, and the Ukraine. Pray for miracles. And uh, that's the last thing I just wanted to say on the subject. Good night, everyone. And I'll see you tomorrow night as we go through First Samuel. Yeah, we ought to pray. And someone said, we ought to pray and faint not. I wanted to end with that quote. That's a great thing. Amen. Amen. Good night, everyone, and I will talk to you soon. God bless.